Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Um, If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I've entitled this uh, message, Finding Jesus in Transition. Finding Jesus in Transitions. And uh, if you just suffer with me a little bit, part of it I want to share a little bit of my own story and how I found Jesus in a fresh new way in a recent transition. I want to take us to Scripture so we can see that God, God is a God that works in and through transitions. Transitions are a part of life. Let's just stop for a minute. Think about, it could be even right now that some of you are in the midst of a transition. It could be something as simple, maybe you have a student that's transitioning from elementary school to middle school, which is a terrifying, terrifying thing, right? It's like they're going to launch into the the world, like deep dive into the world, and you're terrified about how that's going to go. It could be some of you, uh, unfortunately, have painfully are transitioning out of a marriage and trying to figure out, like, what's life going to be like? I I love, I, I despise and love social media. Right, so like I, 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 because my I have four adult children. I have five grandchildren. A sixth coming in October. Like we've gone from zero to six in six years. It's awesome. Do I have any grandparents in the house? Like it is just rocking, awesome. It's just just phenomenal. But all that means is I, all of my adult kids have a whole uh, network of friends that now are my friends. You know, I have I have three thousand friends on social media, man. I. I'm impotent. I, I know about 12 of them, but it's, it's awesome, right? But anyhow, they post these pictures, and a lot of them are having kids now. Like, they're, they're adding to their families. And so what that means is they add these pictures, and I just went to the hospital to see one of my daughter's friends who I married. And anyhow, she posts this picture, and she's got this four-week-old, and she's like, I just hope he stays this way forever. And like in my mind, you know, I'm thinking, you're not going to feel that way for very long. Right? No one wants someone to, a kid to stay at four weeks forever. I change a lot of diapers now as a grandpa. I want them to grow up. <laughs> I really, really do, right? So it can be, if I can, just, if I can just say, sometimes this whole thought of transitions brings to our mind our heart, a, a, a sense of heaviness because maybe it's a significant and a hard transition. Maybe sometimes it's just, hey, change a job. Had to transition, figure out what the next step's going to be, what this is going to mean for my family. But here's the thing. I just want to encourage you, God works through transitions. There's a process that he wants to take us through, and it's not always about the end game, like getting to the end, like what's next. It's actually just as much and just as important what he wants to do through it, not in spite of it, but through it, and all that he wants to teach us in the process, through the phases. Are you with me so far? So let's look at, I want to look at uh, Luke chapter 22. I want to just start with the life of Peter. Peter's one of my favorite um, characters in the Bible. And uh, let me just read for you, let me read for you an interesting passage. I can't give you a lot of backstory because this is a one and done sermon. Uh, but let me, let me just say that if, you, if you're looking... Uh, in your Bible, it you know Judas has agree, agreed to betray Jesus. There's a lot happening. There's a 
There's a lot of dynamics happening in the life of, Je- in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And so it, it, he, he gathers them together for the Passover meal. They share that. He, he, you know, he gives us what we know as communion. This is, my bo- this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he takes the cup of wine. This is in verse 20. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people in agreement, confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice uh, for you. And then the interesting thing is, is what uh, t- happens next. It says in verse 23, it says this. It says, um, the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing, betray Jesus. And then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Doesn't, isn't that kind of an awkward transition? Here's Jesus uh, celebrating the last, uh, we call it the Last Supper. They didn't know it was the Last Supper, right? But the Passover meal with them, he was really repurposing this whole experience. It had a long history. He's repurposing it in his life and in who he is as the Son of God. And then immediately following the, the, these dudes, and I, I both empathize and part of it, I like this, I totally get this. These guys, they, they, they start talking about like, we would never do that. Who's going to betray him? Who would ever do that? And then like, uh, they get into a little verbal tussle about who's going to be the greatest. This is pretty bizarre, is it not? It's pretty bizarre. So, Here's what Jesus told them. He said, in this world, the kings and the great men lord it over the people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. Let me, let me just pause just for a minute. I don't want to get derailed, but I just want to say this. If you serve here at RVC, God bless you because you are never more like Jesus than when you are serving. If you're not serving yet at RVC, if you haven't gotten immersed enough, I just want to encourage you, like you can't do church in a school without an army of servants. Can I hear an amen? Like here's the thing. I, I planted a church. I planted a church. Uh, we spent seven years in a school. Seven years. I know, Team Harambe. I know when guys show up at 5.30 in the morning with trailers. It's, it's, like, it's a lot of work. Here's the thing. I just want to encourage you. You're never more like Jesus than when you're serving. And he tells us right here, like, for I am among you as one who serves. Now, jump down to verse 31, and by the way, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It's just a simple modern translation. I don't know what translation you're reading out of, but in verse 31, red letter, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And of course, Peter, being true to his personality, uh, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even knew me. 
you, you, before the rooster crows, you're, three times you're going to deny me. Now, how, how in the world does all of this um, fit into um, a sermon called Finding uh, Jesus in Transitions? Uh, I want to get back to Peter, but let me, let me just uh, share a personal experience I've had recently. Um, so you understand why this message is so personal to me. This is not one that, this is one that I didn't want to preach, but God downloaded to me experientially and then said, by the way, you're probably going to get to share this message a time or two along the way. November, uh, fall of uh, 2016, I experienced uh, what I would call just a bit of a crisis in my life. I call it a convergence of a lot of things. You know how occasionally in life, there's, there's something, there's some area of your life or some circumstance that's kind of going a little sideways. Am I, okay, am I the only one? No, I mean, like so, something's not working, it's going a little sideways. And then there's those seasons or moments where you go, you know what, I got like this convergent, convergence of things that, that are, that's causing me to feel like it's everything. You understand what I'm talking about, don't you? Well, I was having one of those moments. And by the way, it's not really permitted when you're a pastor. Like, because we're close to God, and we got all this stuff, and we're in the Holy of Holies all the time. God speaks to us directly. We got it all dialed in, right? No. We're frail, broken human beings, just like Gordon and myself, everybody else that serves in ministry, man or woman. Here's the thing. We're broken, too. And let me tell you something. Here's what I recognized. I, I was redlining, and I, I thought I was in trouble. I just knew I was in trouble, and I didn't want to be in trouble. I, didn't want my, I, was, I was concerned about my, my physical and mental and spiritual health. Um, I felt like I was a little feeling more desert-like and didn't feel fresh in my relationship with God. And when you pastor, that feels burdensome. It feels burdensome. Like, not only do I, I have to be refreshed so that I, I can refresh others. And there were just a lot of things that were happening. And um, so I, I, I remember I called, I, I took Jesus' uh, model. Like I called some of my closest friends on a Saturday morning to come see me in my office. Four guys. And I downloaded. I just shared my heart. I just said, look, I, here's the thing. I know you guys look to me for leadership and answers. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to download exactly what's going on with me right now in my life. And I have no answers. None. I don't. Quite frankly, I don't know what to do. So I downloaded, I downloaded. And here's the thing that I realized after the fact. Really, all I wanted was a little bit of encouragement and affirmation. And I, I, I would just say at the end of that meeting, it didn't feel that way at all. It felt like, yeah, that's a good diagnosis. Now, before you get mad at my friends, these, these dudes, I called them in because they love me. Some of them I've had long-term relationships with. And I remember going home and telling Jamie, I said, babe, I, I, don't, I don't know what the immediate future looks like, but it, we're, let's, I just want to officially declare we're in a season of change. Something, something's going to change. I don't know if God's preparing us for a transition, but something's going to change. Uh, fast forward a year later, uh, I'm in conversations. Uh, I, at the time, I was the lead. Uh, I was the planting and lead pastor at New Harvest Church on Minnewawa. You know, the little packing facility uh, we built out. Anyhow, it was a wonderful journey. But I was in. We were in conversations with another church about a merger via Church of Fresno. 
And uh, we, uh, of all things, and I, I just want to lace this in so you see it's always hindsight. It's always after the fact that you can look back and see how God is at work. Saying God doesn't give us the luxury of making all those discoveries along the way. Sometimes it's hindsight. You understand what I'm saying? Like you have to get past it before you can look back and go, wow, God, God did that and he connected that dot. So what happened was uh, Jordan Deepersloot and I met with Pastor Steve Davidson, the founding pastor across the street, and Sean Beatty to talk about like transitions. Transition. Uh, we didn't even know yet whether we were going to merge the church. And I, part of this, I think, is just really, really cool. Anyhow, the long and the short of it, I was fascinated by the way that they transitioned their leadership at Clovis Hills. I thought they'd done an exemplary job of going from old leadership to new leadership. It's just phenomenal. And so we were fascinated, wanted to make sure that we incorporated some of that wisdom into what we were doing. Long and the short of it, that led to January 7th of 2018, last year, uh, on our 17th anniversary as a church, we officially merged the church. We merged uh, New Harvest Church with Via Church, and it became Via Church. Now, let me, let me just pause for a minute, and I don't want to spend too much time here because we want to get to Scripture. Here's the thing. I, I can't tell you how many people thought, what, is, what, what happened? What, what's wrong here? What, here's the, the, the driving thing for me. God showed me that the most important thing is the church and the work of the gospel in the life of the church. That always takes precedent over the pastor. Now, it's not that they're mutually exclusive, but the church has got to be the driver. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What I discovered was the church can go on fine without me. And listen, that's an awesome place to be. Like, here's the thing. I'm so thankful that Gordon is here at RVC. But here's the thing. RVC will go on with or without him. I'm glad it's with him. Can I hear an amen? All right? But here's the thing. You know, sometimes it's good for us to recognize I, I, don't, I don't spin the world. Like somehow God doesn't need me to execute his plan. But the beauty is... Um, here we are on the 17th anniversary of the church merging, uh, and I stepped under uh, the leadership of Pastor Jordan Deepersloot, whom I love. He's a friend of mine. Believe in this guy, praying for him. I'm praying for Via to flourish. But as you can imagine, uh, I don't know what your church experience has been, but I've, I've, at that point, I'd only been part of two churches. Uh, we were at a home church and a church I served in for 17 years, and we were there 27. Planted a church and spent 14 years. I didn't know anything but like two churches. And then I thought, well, uh, okay, what's this going to look like? And so I had negotiated a deal. I know you're not going to believe this, but I had negotiated a deal to take a sabbatical. And the sabbatical really was uh, to experience just a time of refreshment for the Lord and rejuvenate for a new season of ministry. Um, the outcome of that, have any of you ever had like fantastic plans for something that was, you thought would be really important in your life and then that nothing went the way you planned it? Okay, first month of my sabbatical, I had canker sores. I was like, it felt like I was in detox. And part of it was just the emotional recoil of everything that was going on in my life. 
It like it took me it took me a month to just detox. Then I spent a month with my wife just reconnecting. I was supposed to be doing all this reading and preparation. I didn't read anything. I just I just tried to spend some time with her. And then and then I don't know about you, but sometimes you get to month three and you realize I'm going back to work in 30 days. And they're going to be asking me, tell me about all the things you learned. I didn't learn anything, you know. No, here's the thing that God showed me. God showed me in that time. He said, you know what, uh, Mitch, I want you to know I'm very fond of you. And I was fond of you before you were a pastor. Think about that for a moment. It was, it was one of the most glorious moments of my life. I felt God... I literally, I felt God tell me he was fond of me. He said, I'm fond of you. I, just relax, just relax in me. And then he said, oh, and by the way, I'm going to send you back and you're going to resign. I want you to put it in your letter of resignation. Letter of resignation. That's what you do when you're getting close to 60. Just resign your job. I'm like, okay, I got to go get a job. Anyhow, long and the short of it. Here's the thing. Went and resigned. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do next. Felt a little bit like uh, Abram, you know, just go. I'll show you where you're going. I, I don't know where I'm going. And uh, God was faithful that he directed me to an assignment um, at Clovis Hills that I'm loving. Now, what does all this have to do with uh, Peter. Um, it has a lot to do with Peter because I resonate with Peter. I, I feel very Peter-ish in my uh, life experience and personality profile, right? Peter, we learn a lot about uh, Peter in the Gospels. Uh, Peter and his brother were commercial fishermen. They uh, originally were followers of John the Baptist. Uh, we know that Peter's brother is the one that really introduced him, brought him to Jesus, said, come check him out. And um, Here's what we know about Peter's personality. He's passionate. He's fiery. It's, it's pretty much with him. It was ready, fire, aim. Right? Ready, fire, aim. Very little middle. Uh, so the, he had great victories, great defeats. You think about it for a, a moment. Some, some of the experiences Peter had. Peter was the dude that what? He walked on water. Remember that? Remember that? They're all in the boat. Jesus comes to them, and all of a sudden, he's like, hey, Lord, is that you? And then, so he, in, now some would go, yeah, but he sank. Yeah, but he got out of the boat. Right? He's got that experience. Um, remember Jesus saying, uh, who, who, do, who, do, who, who do people say that I am? Uh, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say, who do you say that I am? Peter, Peter's the one that said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember that? that? That's like a golden moment, right? That's a golden moment. He declares, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And he, I, I just knowing Peter well enough, I'm sure he's like, right? And what, is, what did Jesus say to him? No, 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 Peter, you didn't figure that out. That was a download. That was revealed to you from heaven. Don't think that you just came upon that yourself. Remember uh, Jesus in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 17. Jesus took uh, uh, three of them up, to, up the mount, what we call the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that experience? 
I mean, all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, Moses and Elijah join Jesus. There's just like this, this heavenly moment. And, and Peter's the one that says, hey, Lord, let's, uh, let's set up a tourist site here, man. Let's put some rocks together. We could charge people to come here. He didn't, he didn't say all that, but he's wanting to set up a monument. And, and basically, this booming voice comes from heaven and says, shut up and listen to him. All I'm saying is... Um, there's something really, really powerful about what's going down here when we see Jesus specifically address Simon. And he says what we read earlier, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I, listen, to, I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, for you, very specifically, I've pleaded for you in prayer that your faith should not fail so when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Like, I don't know about you, but if I have a life coach or somebody I really believe in and trust, and he goes, hey, uh, okay, let me, here's the thing. You are going to have a colossal failure. By the way, don't, don't get freaked out, but Satan has asked to sift you. And you're going to fail miserably. Isn't that a word of encouragement? Okay, so you're going to fail miserably. But listen, I've prayed for you that after, not, not, not in spite of, but after you have failed miserably and repented, he speaks a word of hope because he says, go and strengthen your brothers. Do you see this? Now, I just want to ask this question. Jesus, like, this is very predictive. He's speaking in these words of, of really condemnation and judgment into Peter's life because, like, this is going to go down and go down bad. But at the same time, this is good, the good news of the gospel. This is the gospel personified, right? He says, oh, and when all of that's gone down and you repented and turned back to me and I've restored you, like, go and strengthen the brothers. Now, uh, my uh, experience... And by the way, we know that Jesus did this, Jesus, his predictive prophecy of Peter and like, hey, you're going to remember what he did? Remember that whole story? He's a brash, bravado, like take on the world, I'll charge the hill. And then he's got, he's saying, no, I don't know Jesus to servant girls, right? That's what, that's what we know of the story. He had, actually, this all unfolded exactly the way Jesus said. So here's all I'm offering to you. Like what I see in Peter's life gives me hope because transition was part of God's plan for Peter's life. We, we, have, a, we have a saying in our house, all right? Um, and you, a saying in our house, my wife Jamie and I have a saying, and it's simply this, is that Mitch 1.0, 2.0, or 3.0. Like we, we've sort of determined and assessed over almost 36 of marriage, 36 years of marriage, that there's been different versions of me. Now, those of you that haven't been married very long, I, I don't want to freak you out, but there's going to be different versions of your spouse. Now, the goal, the goal, and I want to say this especially to guys, we, we hope that 2.0 is better than 1.0. And then we hope 3.0 is better than 2.0, Right? Well, here's what I want to offer to you. Like, all of a sudden, I began to read Peter's story a little differently because I'm looking at how he's portrayed in the Gospels, and I'm thinking, 
Well, I can, I can see 1.0 like, like fishermen, commercial fishermen, successful, doing his deal. 2.0, he got introduced to Jesus and dropped it all and started to follow him. Now, the thing was, all of his personality, all of who he was, was not getting, it was a slow conversion process, right? It's not like he became a totally different dude. He, he misstepped all the time. It's recorded in Scripture. And then I believe the text we read, really, in essence, what Jesus, in, in my estimation, was saying, listen, get ready, Peter, because I'm ready to do a new work in you. 3.0 is coming, and it's only going to come through a colossal failure. You're like, you've got to get to the end of yourself so I can do a new work in you. And this happened. So... If, you, if you're a note writer, here, I want you to write these things down because I'm really hoping that you'll process this um, this week. And it's simply this. When you are uh, preparing for or when uh, life presents a, a season of transition for you, okay? Transition, you're either getting into one or you know one's coming or maybe you're in the middle of one. I just want to offer there are two uh, common approaches, okay, to transition. One, one is angry, resistant, resentful, and white-knuckling. All I'm saying is we get to choose how we do transitions, and they're part of life. So it's not like, well, I don't really have to choose. because No, you're going you're gonna to go through multiple transitions in life. So are you going to choose to be angry, resistant, resentful, white-knuckling, or will you choose to be accepting, grateful and thankful will you set up camp in the land of gratitude i'm saying there are two responses to transitions one will lead to a whole set of outcomes and another will lead to a whole set of outcomes so here's what i did because i'm fast approaching 60 I, I trying to be a little smarter and a little more wise in my my years and so i started reading everything i could on transitions I just made it like a personal focal point of mine. Like, I, I want to learn. I want to learn a lot because I, I know I'm in the midst of one. I want to learn a lot. And there's a great book by William Bridges called Transitions. It's not a church book. It's not a spiritual book. But it really helped me. It helped me understand that there are three phases in transitions, three phases, okay? There are two approaches, white-knuckling, angry, resentful, grateful, thankful. There are three phases. And I just want you to think about that. There's an ending waiting, beginning. Ending, waiting, beginning. I want to make sure you get all these fill-ins because some of you like take seriously note-taking and all of that, and if you leave here with a blank sheet, it will be a disappointment this morning. Ending, waiting, beginning. Maybe an easier, easier uh, uh, translation would be there's a death, there's disorientation, and life. Death, disorientation, and life. Now, um, let's just pause for a minute because I think that one of the great challenges we have, um, certainly I have, is um, if, if things are not bad, I, I don't want anything to end. 
I have a hard time letting go of stuff. Uh, Jamie sometimes calls me a hoarder. I'm just saying, sometimes for me and my personality type, it feels like quitting. But I really believe that uh, letting things die sometimes is really good. Ending things can be really, really good. One of the best books that I want to encourage every person to read by Henry Cloud, a wonderful Christian uh, corporate coach, is called Necessary Endings. Necessary Endings. All it did was help me to see that all endings in life do not necessarily have to be bad. Like ending things, things ending, things, people dying, it's part of life. Now here's the thing, sometimes if we allow things to end or we allow things to die, it will bring out demons. Yeah, All the inner monsters of fear will descend upon us, like it really can jack us up. It cannot be a fun season. It can, you can feel enormous, an enormous sense of loss of, of control or loss of power, like you can feel powerless. This isn't necessarily a simple thing, right? Uh, take, for instance, uh, my mom was diagnosed almost nine years ago with early stages of Alzheimer's. I go see my mom now. I've got her in a, uh, a, a home, a residential care home. And, you know, here's the thing. It's a nasty disease, and it's a slow fade. Slow fade. But I am still uh, enjoying this moment with my mom because we have little windows of connection that are meaningful. And sometimes, sometimes, now it's changed in the last year, Sometimes I feel like she really recognizes me, and then other times I'm not sure. She still knows I'm a son. And I love it because she's talking more about her sons than her grandsons. That fires me up. Something interesting about the way the mind works, right? All I'm saying is if, if God is going to walk us through a transition, we have to be willing to let things end or die. Secondly, once something uh, ends or dies, then there is this um, season of waiting. There's this, what I call, disorientation. It's what uh, Jeff Minion's written a book called The Land Between, The Land Between. Any of you get frustrated about seasons of disorientation, the land between? Is there anybody that enjoys the land between? Because I... I'll talk to you after service today, right? I, look, no, nobody likes to be in between, but you can't go through, you can't transition, do transitions in life without experiencing that. And maybe sometimes uh, uh, that season of disorientation is a week. Maybe sometimes, maybe sometimes God it will take you through disorientation for a year. Sometimes it's, it could be a decade. I'm just saying there's lots, of, there's lots of stories about Abraham, Joseph, Moses, uh, Job, Hannah, Jesus in the wilderness. I mean, he even went out for 40 days wandering in the wilderness. What I'm saying is there is something that Jesus wants to do 
in that time of waiting, in that time of disorientation. See, I, I shared with you, like some of you are, well, first of all, Gordon's going to question whether he wants to invite me back. Like, are you okay? You need to see a spiritual shrink, right? And my bride actually encouraged me on uh, my sabbatical, like maybe you need to see someone. And um, I, I didn't, not because I didn't think I needed to, but God brought me to. But it was a full month. God, it took a full month for God to detox me. Month. Just descending all of the negativity, all of the ill will, all of the fractured relationships, all of the sense of rejection, all of the sense of failure. Like, does this mean I failed? I just merged my church. Like, something go wrong or am I wrong? I know I'm the only one, right, that ever thinks a thought like that. Right? Sometimes when we, it's dangerous. What I've discovered, too, guys, I want to encourage you. This is both a challenge and uh, a warning. It's dangerous to, like, be alone with your thoughts for a long period of time. But that's exactly where God wanted to camp me because he, like, had some deep soul work that he wanted to do that he was unwilling to not do some finished work in my life. Now, Here's the thing I want to encourage you with, because in transition, Jesus will meet us there. He'll help us put an end to something or let something die. He'll walk us through this time of disorientation and waiting, and then he'll, Jesus will do what he promises to do. He gives life. He gives us a new beginning, a new chapter, a new season, a new assignment. That doesn't mean it's all uh, flowers and roses and all that kind of stuff, right? Sometimes it's messy and not tidy at all, but Jesus wants to give us new life. So part of my encouragement in circling back to Peter is simply this, like, you know what? You, you remember what happened with Peter? Like colossal failure? And then what happened? Jesus personally met him and restored him, personally. And then, I don't know, you get into the book of Acts, who keeps popping up, like showing up big time, like emerging as the leader of the early church? Remember? It's Peter. Like, who stands up in the early chapters of Acts, preaches, 3,000 people get saved. You see it time and time again. Peter is, uh, he is integrated throughout the landscape of the book of Acts where God is using him mightily, really, to uh, advance the work of the uh, early church. He's not only restored, he's like a force to be reckoned with, a spiritual force to be reckoned with. Now, here's the thing. Think about it. Would he have been Peter 3.0 or Peter 4.0 had he not gone through the colossal failure and come to the end of himself and had to really bring an end to that Peter and really be willing and eager and ready to, for God to do a new work in his life so that God could do a new work through him. Um, one of the things I did this morning as I began to close, uh, I decided, you know, I just want to just with fresh set eyes just read through First and Second Peter again. Because not only that, God inspired him by the Holy Spirit to write. It's included in the canon. So this morning, just as a little devo, I read through First and Second Peter. 
Here's the thing. Just read First and Second Peter. You know what you're going to see? You're going to see a different demeanor. You're going to feel a different kind of persona to Peter. There's something going on there that sounds different than the Peter we read about in the Gospels. What was it? Peter wrote things like, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Can you, can you imagine? He's just been fresh through an experience, right? He's been taken through a major transition, and he's writing these things. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace, who called you to eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered in a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him. Be the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen? So here's, what I, here's how I want to conclude um, this morning. I don't know, uh, you know, obviously, I, I don't know where you are today in your journey. I don't know what's happening in your life right now. I don't know if you're coming at the tail end of a transition, whether, whether God is preparing you for a transition, whether you're in the middle of a transition. But here's the thing I want you to know more than anything. You can find Jesus in transitions. In fact, Jesus is eager to show up wherever you are, whatever phase you are in. And He wants to reveal Himself to you in ways that will be life-giving and redemptive. And the other thing I want to say, man, if you're a guest this morning, if a friend brought you or you just wandered uh, in here because someone told you, or I, I don't know how you got here, but I want you to know that God brought you here for a divine appointment. And the divine appointment is simply this, that God is not willing that any, any should perish, but that all would come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Jesus not only wants to save you, he wants to save you to live a full and purposeful life. He saves you for a purpose here on this planet. And what I'd like to do in closing is I want to give you an opportunity if, if, if you're that person, like, like God, God brought you here this morning at RVC on August 4th because, because He wanted to have a, a divine appointment with you and wanted you to become His child, His son, His daughter. How great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. He wants you to become His child. Sometimes you hear a preacher go, what, like God told you that He's fond of you? Really? Really? Yeah, really. He did. He did. And you know what it did for me? It took me back took me back to 1973 when I knelt by a rock outside the cafeteria at Westmont College with my two brothers and we received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. My life has never been the same. And your life will be, never be the same. 
if you respond to him this morning. Let's, let's bow our heads. And even now, I just, uh, I want to pray, I want to pray, if, if, if you're that person, if you're that person that I've been speaking to for the last couple of minutes, like God brought you here for a divine appointment, and that appointment is to come into a, a, a living, vibrant, th- thriving relationship with Jesus, his son, and change your eternal destiny, your name will be written in the book of life, like forever eternity with him you could just simply pray lord jesus i receive the gift you are the gift you are the gift giver you gave your life Uh, i turn from the way i've been living i turn uh, uh, about face and i'm following you and i receive jesus or i receive you jesus as my savior with every uh, head bowed, eye, eyes closed, listen, if, if I can pray a prayer of blessing over you, if that's the, the prayer of your heart, if you wanted to pray along, we, we just have the courage, heads bowed, eyes closed, I just want you to raise your hand because I, I just want to pray a blessing over you. Is there anyone here that really, that's the desire of your heart to pray that prayer and come into a vibrant, thriving relationship with Jesus? Anyone, can I pray for you this morning? Heavenly Father, you are eager um, to do uh, a new thing in the life uh, of this church, RVC. I thank you for what you're already doing, for what you have done, but God, you are a God of the present. Yes, Jesus, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, but the most important moment is now, and I just pray that this church, under the ordained leadership Pastor Gordon, God, would carry out the work that you have for RVC right now in this season. And I pray blessing over this church. God, may the gospel continue to be declared, and may many come into a living relationship with Jesus, because RVC exists in Jesus' name. Amen.